the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The Romans used crucifixion extensively. We tend to only picture the three crosses for Jesus and the two robbers, but the Romans crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of people. For example, in 7 AD, a minor revolt in Judea was brutally crushed by the Romans, and the Romans crucified over 2,000 Jews outside the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine living under the rule of the Roman Empire? Have you ever thought about what that would have been like? They were the definition of zero tolerance, and enforcement was done through suppression and brutal mortality. The crucifixion of Jesus, together with the two thieves, has been immortalized in history. But today, Pastor Dan explains just how popular this execution style was to the Romans. The Bible documents invasions by Roman troops that resulted in thousands of people suffering this fate. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. 
And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, well, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for rising again the third day. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus was condemned by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He was scourged by the Roman soldiers before being led away to be crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem at a place called Golgotha. And crucifixion was one of the most brutal and shameful ways to die. In fact, Rome did not crucify their own citizens because crucifixion was considered too inhumane for a Roman citizen to suffer. And so Roman citizens were executed by beheading. That was considered more humane than crucifying someone. The Apostle Paul, for example, was a Roman citizen and he was beheaded. By the Romans. Jesus, of course, is the most well known person to die by crucifixion, but the Romans used crucifixion extensively. We tend to only picture the three crosses for Jesus and the two robbers, but the Romans crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of people. For example, in 7 AD, a minor revolt in Judea was brutally crushed by the Romans, and the Romans crucified over 2,000 Jews outside the city of Jerusalem. During the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Romans crucified 500 Jews every day for several months. It was a very common way of execution used by the Romans. In 1968, Archaeologists excavating in Jerusalem discovered the skeletal remains of a person who had been crucified and his heel bone still had an iron nail embedded in it from the crucifixion. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus was crucified at the third hour of the day or at nine in the morning. And from nine in the morning to noon, Jesus was mocked and ridiculed by people. And if you look back at verse 39, it says, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. As they passed by Jesus on the cross, they blasphemed him, saying, You who destroy the temple 
and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. And so this mocking and scoffing against Jesus continued for three hours from 9 a.m. until noon, then suddenly it says at the sixth hour, which was noontime, at the sixth hour, after three hours on the cross, everything changes. Look at verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. So from noon to 3 p.m. now, Jesus is on the cross for three hours, and then at noon, and from noon to 3 p.m., darkness covers the land. And this is not an eclipse. Passover takes place during the full moon, so an eclipse is not possible. Plus, as you know, an eclipse lasts only for a few minutes. This lasts for for three hours. This is three hours of darkness in the middle of the day, during the brightest part of the day. Neither is this just clouds blocking the sun. It's not that it's you know suddenly overcast. The word that is used here refers to the darkness of night. The darkness of night. Jesus also used this word to describe the darkness of hell. Describing it as outer darkness. And so at noon, while Jesus is on the cross, it becomes as dark as night. And it stayed dark as night from noon to 3 p.m. for three hours. Luke's account says specifically the sun was darkened. Now, there are ancient writings outside of the Bible that mention this event of darkness in the middle of the day. There are two records that were found in Egypt and a third record found in modern-day Turkey that mention this event happening. They're not Christian sources. They're pagan sources. One record mentions the day turning to night at noontime and the stars being visible in the sky. And so there are extra biblical records that confirm what the Bible says and also show that this darkness was not limited to Jerusalem or the land of Israel. Apparently, it occurred all over the the earth. And darkness at noontime during one of the Jewish feasts, this is Passover, that was actually predicted in the Old Testament. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy found in the book of Amos. You didn't even know there was a book called Amos, but there is. In Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, I'll read it to you. Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And so God said he will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight and turn their feasts into mourning. This is Passover, the Passover feast, and he will do this because they killed God's son. Jesus is the light of the world. And they attempted to extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so they tried to destroy the light. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. You know, darkness in the Bible is associated with God's judgment. For example, in the book of Exodus, one of the ten plagues that God sent upon Egypt was darkness for three days over the entire land of Egypt. It's symbolic of God's judgment. In Joel chapter 2, verse 2, the day of the Lord is described as a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, whatever thick darkness is. The day of the Lord, when God begins to pour out his judgment on the earth, it will be a time of darkness, gloominess, and thick darkness. Joel chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. The sun and the moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. Joel says the sun and the moon will grow dark, and the Lord God will roar from Zion from Jerusalem. Jesus will roar from the cross. It is finished. In Matthew's gospel, earlier in the gospel, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said just before his second coming, there will be total darkness over all the earth. Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, describing his second coming. Jesus said before his second coming, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the whole universe will go dark just before his return and then the darkness will be pierced By his glory, the light of his glory will be the only light in the universe when Jesus Christ returns. That's why every eye will see his return and how glorious that will be. And so from noon to 3 p.m., all of creation goes dark. And it's during those three hours. Listen, it's during those three hours that Jesus Christ was punished for our sins. For your sins. For everything you've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done wrong, everything we ever will do wrong, all of our sins, Jesus was punished during those three hours. During that darkness, all of our sins, the Bible tells us, all of our sins were put on Jesus, and then God poured out his judgment on Jesus Christ for our sins instead of us. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus to be sin for us. He became our sin. All of our sin was put upon him and punished so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us, and God punished him in our place as our substitute. Now, after three hours of darkness, everybody's in darkness here, total darkness Jesus breaks his silence and he cries out from the cross in verse 46. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, piercing the darkness. Now he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 There, the father says of Jesus, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. The father said of Jesus, this is my servant. This is the one in whom my soul delights. At his baptism, the father spoke from heaven, saying of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But when Jesus was on the cross, the father forsakes him. The one in whom his soul delights. The one in whom he is well pleased, God forsakes. He abandons while he's on the cross. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why? We've never heard Jesus ask the question, why? For the first time, Jesus is cut off from the Father and he's without information. And he's asking the question, why? Why? Have you forsaken me? This is the cup that Jesus prayed he wouldn't have to drink when he was in Gethsemane. This is the reason that Jesus sweat drops of blood when he was in the garden, being abandoned by the Father. This is the only time that Jesus addressed the Father as God and not Father. 191 times in the four Gospels, Jesus calls him Father. Now he addresses him as God, my God, my God. God is is judging him. God is pouring out his judgment on Jesus for our sins. We just sang during worship, Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. Jesus experienced separation from the father during these three hours because he was bearing our sins. Isaiah 59 says, your sins cut you off from God. Jesus was cut off from the Father in our place. You know, Jesus didn't cry out before his accusers. Jesus didn't cry out when he was spat upon and beaten and mocked. He didn't cry out when he was scourged. He didn't cry out when he was stripped naked and nailed to the cross. He didn't say, why have you scourged me? Or why have you nailed me to the cross? When the disciples all abandoned him in Gethsemane, Jesus didn't cry out then, why have you forsaken me? 
But when he is forsaken by the father, he cries out. Being forsaken by the father is the worst of his suffering. Being abandoned by the father, being cut off. And Jesus was forsaken so that we can be accepted by the father. He did this for us. Now, as many of you know, the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. And please note that in his darkest hour, in his hour of greatest suffering, Jesus quoted scripture. And Jesus is our example. And may we find comfort in the word of God during our time of suffering, during our time of need. And when Jesus quoted this verse, the first verse of Psalm 22, Psalm 22 would have immediately come to the minds of the Jews that were gathered there at the foot of the cross. In fact, in ancient times, the rabbis would teach scripture to children by stating the first verse of a passage, and then the children would recite the rest of the passage. And here Jesus states the first verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Christ, but it describes in detail his crucifixion. Psalm 22 describes the mockers mocking him. It describes the Roman soldiers casting lots for his clothing. It even mentions his hands and feet being pierced. And once Jesus said that first verse of Psalm 22, no doubt some in the crowd began reciting the rest of the psalm in their minds and seeing its fulfillment all around them in the scene that's taking place. And so what happens? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said, well, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, well, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. The mockers aren't mocking anymore, are they? The whole atmosphere has changed. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day will change the mood. Everyone is serious now. Everyone is sober now and saying, well, he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes. Someone else ran to get him a drink. Psalm 22 verse 15 tells us that Jesus's tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth while he was on the cross. Probably from severe dehydration due to his blood loss during the scourging. His tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth made it difficult to understand him when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Eli is a shortened form of the name Elijah. And so some in the crowd thought Jesus is calling for Elijah, the prophet, to come. Now, for you note takers, The last prophecy in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter four, verse five, is that Elijah will come before the Messiah. Malachi chapter four, verse five says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. And you may remember from the Old Testament that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire to heaven. And the Jews believe that when Elijah comes back, that he will come back in a similar fashion, a very dramatic fashion, maybe coming down from heaven in a chariot of fire. And so some in the crowd said, well, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Do you see how the tone of the crowd has, has changed now from mocking to concern. He asked- 
been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Pastor Dan has more to share with you next time, but if you have any questions or would like to talk to us and have any prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 410-491-4592. The number again is 410-491-4592. You can also get in touch with us by visiting our website. Go to calvaryec.com and look under the About tab, then click on Contact. You're welcome to submit prayer requests on our website too. If you're interested in finding additional messages from this series, you can access those at calvaryec.com as well, under the Media tab. Have you connected with a local church? If not, we encourage you to find a church family It will help guide and support you in your faith. If you're in the area, please join us at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in Columbia, Maryland. For more details, visit calvaryec.com. Our website is a great place to find out what we believe. And you can also get to know Pastor Dan a little more. Feel free to explore and learn more at calvaryec.com. In our next edition, you'll have the opportunity to gain some additional insights from this New Testament book. Pastor Dan will help bring some things to light for you right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know His voice and it only takes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.